The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And broadcasting live here this week from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show in Orlando, Florida. Thank you for joining us on Market Talk today. Great to have you along as we cover the issues impacting rural America and talk about what is happening in the market trade. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thanks for being with us again as we're joined sunny Florida in the markets on the day Wednesday Kind of a down day. We gave back some of that gains, uh, some of the gains that we saw on Tuesday. Some of that strength that we saw didn't hold up uh, for two days in a row. Corn market rather mixed on Wednesday's session. Soybeans, wheat under uh, more pressure. Mixed action in cattle and hog trade as well. Cattle especially just kind of trading, squaring up positions, marking time ahead of the cattle inventory report out after the close on Wednesday. We see crude oil under some pressure as well, largely just kind of a, a risk-off day across the board. We're going to talk markets coming up later in the show. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics will join us for our weekly conversation with him, so looking forward to that discussion. Also, coming up here in segment two today, we're going to talk about a new report out from Bank looking at the beef herd and rebuilding the beef herd and more. We're going to have a conversation with Lance Zimmer Senior Analyst, Animal Protein at Bank. He is the author of that report, and he will join us uh, to discuss that coming up here in just a little bit. So looking forward to that here and much more as we cover the Cattle Industry Convention over the next couple of days here in Orlando running Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And, of course, the trade show is always a lot of fun. We're going to be talking to a lot of folks during the trade show uh, over the next couple of days as well. And I'm sure we'll have plenty of stuff to share even after we return home from the cattle industry convention. So thanks for joining us again here today. Let's get a little bit of a look at some of the market action that we had on Wednesday with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X. He joined us for our midday commentary on... On Wednesday around the noon hour and gave us his thoughts of some of the grain action that we are seeing in the markets. Uh, we also talked about the Fed. The Federal Reserve is uh, wrapping up their two-day meeting on Wednesday and some of the economic headwinds uh, potentially here in the market this week. We also touch on livestock trade and more. Here is that conversation with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stonex, starting with the grain trade. Yeah, it's been kind of frustrating money flow, giving opportunities and also challenges. Um, there really hasn't been a whole lot changed fundamentally for these commodities this week, but the markets certainly are. We had big unanticipated gains yesterday. We're taking back some of those gains today. Those markets that had the biggest gains yesterday are seeing the bigger losses today. Uh, a lot about money flow. Yesterday we saw where money flow said, look, uh, uh, we're down at some very low prices, multi-year pl- prices in a lot of these commodities. Uh, the funds have built big short positions with a lot of profits in it. They're getting nervous at these levels, knowing that the next geopolitical headline from the Black Sea or the Red Sea could cause a big short covering rally. 
end users kind of stepping in for the same uh, reason, uh, but just not enough to justify sustaining it at this point. I know uh, we have the Fed meeting going to wrap up here later on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, We've had plenty of economic data out already this week in the U.S. We have more to come. So I know that is a a bit of a talking point, maybe even a, a bit of a headwind for many of the commodity markets here this week, Arlen. The, the market's trading expectations that the Fed's going to give us the green light on a pivot toward lower rates, not at this meeting, um, but talk about lower rates coming in future meetings. And so we're seeing 10-year Treasury yields this morning trading to 19-day lows, and that's putting downward pressure on the dollar. You would think that would be good for the commodities. But overall, what we're seeing is a nervousness, a selling off of the stocks, a selling off of in the equity markets, a selling off of the commodities today. Uh, Just kind of a a overall risk off day as we wait for what the Fed statement may hold. And in the livestock trade, kind of the same boat there. Uh, Mixed activity, we'll say. But I know in terms of the cattle market, it seems like we're market time ahead of uh, this afternoon's cattle inventory report, aren't we? Yeah, that cattle inventory report generally expected to show all cattle and calves down about 1.8% on the year, with last year's calf crop down maybe 2.4% and the cow herd down 2.5%, with beef replacement heifers down about three-tenths of a percent. But there's a a wide range of estimates on the heifers, uh, with some expecting it. It's going to show that we've already started to expand the breeding herd while others are looking for considerable contraction again. Uh, and, and we might also have some upward revisions to last year's numbers as well. We have seen a little bit of cash trade this morning. 176 Packer bids in Kansas, Texas uh, traded a small volume at that. That's up about $1 to $2 versus last week. Most producers seem to be holding out for the 177 level. And once again, that is comments with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X, joined us for midday commentary on the day Wednesday. And uh, as always, appreciate Arlen's time. Again, we're broadcasting live from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show here this week in Orlando, Florida and NCBA have released their 2024 policy priorities. This year's priorities focus on advocating for the reauthorization of the Farm Bill, protecting cattle producers from federal regulatory overreach, and defending the U.S. cattle industry against external attacks. Now, NCBA president-elect and Wyoming cattle rancher Mark Isley says, quote, NCBA will continue pushing for passage of a farm bill that includes key animal health and voluntary conservation provisions, as well as hold the line against all federal policies that could damage the livelihoods of U.S. cattle producers. In the past year, we have seen radical animal activists ramp up their attacks on our industry and our producer-funded beef checkoff that drives consumer demand and funds critical research. We will never let the same people that want to shut down family cattle operations dictate how we promote our products, end quote. Now, NCBA's policy priorities include securing the reauthorization of the animal health provisions in the 2018 Farm Bill and advocate for expanded funding of the National Animal Vaccine and Veterinary Countermeasures Bank to protect against foot and mouth disease. They also want to defend the U.S. cattle industry against those radical animal activist groups that they say want to end cattle production, including the beef checkoff. They want to fight against misguided Endangered Species Act rules and any expansion of bureaucratic red tape under the National Environmental Policy Act. And they want to preserve family farms and ranches for future generations by advocating for essential tax relief for cattle producers. 
Now Isley added as well uh, that, quote, despite our success last year in finally reducing the size and scope of the onerous waters of the U.S. rule, many more misguided regulations have been proposed that undermine the voluntary conservation work of cattle producers. NCBA will stand strong against these rule makings, setting the record straight on regulations that are not backed by science and would leave America's rangelands in total disorder, end quote. So again, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association releasing their 2024 policy priorities here during the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA trade show in Orlando, Florida. All right, coming up next here on Market Talk, we are going to have a conversation with Lance Zimmerman, Senior Animal Protein Analyst with Rabobank. He has a new report out looking at rebuilding the cattle herd. And always, uh, every time I talk to Lance, we have a great conversation. I have no doubt that uh, we will have a good one here coming up as well. So we will get to that on the way after the break as we'll be back with more here on Market Talk, broadcasting from the Cattle Industry Convention in Orlando. Back with more right after to this. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now here on the program as we are at the Cattle Industry Convention in Orlando, Senior Analyst Animal Protein on the beef side, Lance Zimmerman, is with us from Rabobank. Lance, good to see you, my friend. How good, are you? Good to see you, Jesse. We uh, we made it to sunny Florida. We did make it to sunny Florida, indeed. And uh, talking about a new report you have out, uh, still a lot of talk about rebuilding this, uh, this beef herd here in the U.S. We've been talking about this now for a few years, it feels like, and you have some new research looking at that. So uh, give us the thousand-foot view to start here, kind of the summary of your new report. Yeah, you know, the title starts out in saying, Rebuilding with Resiliency is a Necessity for This Beef Supply Chain. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, obviously, I chose the word supply chain very strategically. I didn't just focus on the cow-calf operation. While that's obviously the focus today, day, the focus of this paper is the premise that we've rebuilt this cow herd before. And when we rebuilt this cow herd to the prior cycle and production highs, mm -hmm. we did so and then looked around and realized there wasn't enough hook space to process all the cattle we built the herd out to. And it resulted in massive profitability for the packing segment and a lot of financial pain for the cow-calf producer. Now we're in a situation where the cattle inventory report <clears throat> that's coming out this week is going to talk about the cow herd drifting to the lowest numbers probably since the early 1950s. Yet we've already added back 12,000 head a day in weekday packing capacity, and there's another 12,000 to 15,000 heads still coming these next several years, mm -hmm. and the cow herd's not even rebuilding yet. And so the paper dives into why that's happening. It dives into some of the challenges that exist because of that, and then obviously offers some solutions that the industry can look at for a way out, for a, for a different path forward than the path we've been on. Well, it's been very 
a very volatile time for the cattle industry, I feel like. You know, you think about the markets and where prices have been. We've come down a little bit, but still very, very good prices, you know, on the board, good prices at the sale barn, in feedlots, et cetera. Uh, but yet, you know, we're, we're starting to get to that point where I feel like we've been talking and talking and talking about, okay, we're going to bottom out here and start rebuilding this thing. And I think we're finally kind of at that point, Lance. I think you're right, Jesse. I think that's an accurate assumption. You know, as we look at prices today, where they were in 2023 compared to where they mm-hmm. were at the the lows of this current uptrend that we've been in, fed cattle and feeder cattle prices are both up about 60% from those pandemic lows. The challenge is the corn market is up about 60% from its lows during yes. its run. Um, diesel fuel prices about 60 to 70% higher than where they were during the lows in the pandemic era. Interest rates are 135% higher than where <laughs> yeah, they were yep. pre-pandemic. And so a lot of this cattle market price appreciation that we've seen, to your point, was perfectly well said. It's been a great run, but it's in a lot of ways only made the cattle producer whole again. Mm-hmm. So what we need going forward is either uh, some more consistency in that uptrend going forward, but then we also need it to come with the caveat of input prices need to stay where they are or get softer. Uh, and, and really, we talk about the cow-calf producer needing two things to rebuild, profitability and pasture conditions that are favorable. Uh, we've probably solved the profitability side of the equation. If we can continue to see some modest increases on cattle prices now that we've kind of got caught back up against the higher cost structure we've been in, mm-hmm. um, we can get the cow-calf producer at least feeling somewhat optimistic about the prospects of making that five to 10 year herd investment for that new bred female. Sure. The other side of it though is weather. And as we look at it, we not only had volatile markets, we've had volatile climate patterns too. We went from massive drought in 14 and 15 preceding that to massive abundance of moisture to again drought. And right now we're kind of in this in-between awkward place. You know, we've had some good winter precipitation but a lot of the long-run climate models are saying we're going to transition out of this El Nino and back to a La Nina again. If that happens, we're going to be back into dryness throughout the central plains, right where cow-calf country resides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very true. You have a section in here uh, in your new report, beef consumers need to incentivize ranchers. That catches my eye. I want to talk about that a little bit with you because... I feel like that is something that that ties in with the whole economy and more and and our consumers here domestically, you know, are they going to keep buying beef and not just any beef, but good cuts of beef, et cetera. I mean, talk about how the consumer can play a role that could be beneficial, hopefully, to cattle producers here in the year ahead. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. One of the cool things in the paper that I go into is trying to solve this this question that's being asked this week. It was asked a year ago at this convention of how price, how high can prices really go? And, yeah. and what I did was I started at the consumer level and I looked at how much it would take from a, a minutes of labor standpoint for the median household 
to purchase a pound of choice beef or a pound of ground beef. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is during the previous cycle highs, we peaked that metric in, in terms of the number of minutes the U.S. consumer had to work to put a pound of beef on their table. It equated to in that 14, 15 cycle high period, a, an annual high of about 14 minutes is what it would take for them to pay for a pound of choice beef and about 10 minutes of labor to pay for a pound of ground beef. As you look at where we are today, we're at about 13 minutes for a pound of choice beef and about nine minutes for a pound of ground beef. So we have some room to to go Mm -hmm. back to those prior highs because obviously consumer incomes have trended higher and the growth in consumer incomes has actually outpaced the recent uptrend in retail beef prices. And so if we use those metrics, we make an assumption for where income can continue to grow, we can get to a point where today, choice beef prices are approaching $8 a pound. We could get to a place where still without overly stressing the consumer, choice beef prices could go to an annual average of around $9, $9.50 a pound. Mm-hmm. Ground mm-hmm. beef prices are sitting there around $5.50 to $6 a pound a day. We could actually see those ground beef prices increase to $7, $7.50 a pound just to get back to some of those old norms. Um, So there is upward mobility then as we think about those higher retail prices translating back to higher cattle prices for cattle producers. Well, and I think about this too, and I I always say this when when I think about consumer demand in beef. If someone wants a steak... They're going to buy a steak. Yep. We've learned that time and time again. But I think with the way interest rates and things like credit card debt and the overall economy has been, that sometimes maybe we're not consistently buying that nicest cut. Maybe we're backing down a cut, something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, that that's something that I guess I want to keep an eye on here in the year ahead as far as some of those trends, just to see if some of these price changes you're you know thinking about and talking about is that reflected in some of our domestic demand? Are we getting some different cuts of mm-hmm. beef or are we getting you know different types of ground beef at the store instead of what we would maybe normally get if we're trying to pinch a few pennies? I think you're right. As we talk about demand, oftentimes it's not necessarily trading out, it's trading sure. within. And I think that when we look at the beef consumer today, we like to talk about beef demand in aggregate. And we've found out some amazing things about the consumer through even just looking at it through an aggregate beef demand lens. But to your point, I think we have a group of consumers today that they're they're beef evangelists, so to speak. They're going to buy beef regardless of price point, And they're going to recognize exactly what they want, whether that's a production attribute, whether it's a product quality attribute, whether it's just a specific brand that they identify with, they're going to buy it regardless of price point. And then mm-hmm. there's a group of consumers that, to your point, it's an economic decision. Yeah. It's a budgetary decision. And that's a totally different consumer group than that other one mentioned prior to this. They're sitting there and looking at an entire meat case uh, at their disposal. And they're saying, okay, what best fits my price point, um, my family factors, the time I have to prepare a meal from a convenience standpoint, and what's going to offer me some flexibility throughout the week. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's, a different, that's a different set of decisions being made when they walk up to the grocery meat case. Definitely. Uh, final thoughts. Got about mm-hmm. a minute or so here. Do you expect volatility to continue in these cattle markets overall? Yeah, yeah, we do, and and that's why this paper is focused on resiliency. One of the mm-hmm. things that I say is the volatility is here to stay. So, what are some solutions to combat that? 
I hope that with the fever that we've pursued demand over the last 25 years, with evidence of extreme uptrending demand for the last 25 years, demand is now on a pretty solid trajectory. Let's take some of that attention and resources and turn it towards looking at ourselves. Look at the supply chain and say, how can we build a better supply chain so we can all find a win? Whether you're a cow-calf producer, a feed yard, or a packer. And I offer some solutions at the end of the report. I talk about vertical coordination, technology adoption, even being more involved in the public policy process Mm -hmm. as solutions to creating a supply chain that can weather some of this volatility better going forward. I know folks can find the report on the Robo Research website, correct? Yes. Definitely. You could find that easily online. And with that, Lance Zimmerman, Senior Analyst, Animal Protein with Bank. Thanks for joining us at the Cattle Industry Convention. Good to see you. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate the time. And once again, Lance Zimmerman there with Rumblebank joining us here today on Market Talk. All right, coming up next, we'll continue here for the Cattle Industry Convention. We'll talk markets with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics on the way right after this. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice. And you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we take a look at the market trade action midweek, we ended up with mixed activity. It was nice to see soybeans uh, work their way off the session lows on Wednesday. Still some pressure in the wheat market, though. We got a lot of focus on the Federal Reserve meeting and the economy and more. We're also going to talk cattle inventory numbers. Uh, joining us here today for conversation while we are at the cattle convention in Orlando, he is at his home office in Kansas. Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics joining us. Mike, good to talk to you, my friend, and a uh, very busy day in the markets as we're ending the month of January on Wednesday, and we got that Federal Reserve meeting wrapping up after two days. Let's start there. What was the big takeaway you got from the Fed here this month, Mike? Well, I think the big takeaway was we're done raising rates, and so the Fed's on the nest. They're not the hawk anymore. They're not going to raise rates anymore. The Fed chairman, in fact, in fact, said in quotes pretty much, um, we're, we're in terms of policy rate, we're likely at its peak at this stage. And so the thing I think the market maybe got wrong, which I was kind of glad about in terms of the equity markets making new highs, um, new record highs in the United States here, Jesse, was the idea that they were going to cut rates as early as March. And, and that was probably uh, they had to pull back the reins on that based upon not just what the statement said, but also the beginning of the press conference with the Fed chairman that they're not going to come in too early and mess things up, essentially. That may have spillover repercussions in terms of firming the dollar up a little bit, and that may give us some more uh, pressure in the commodity sector because the commodities typically like rate cuts. It usually generates liquidity. It usually takes the pressure off the emerging markets. And uh, we need to take that pressure off the emerging markets, especially with what we've seen here in the last essentially full week uh, in China between the data and the movement 
uh, in their uh, policy and their economic situation. And I want to talk about that more in depth with you as uh, not only do we have the U.S. economy news here this week, but as you mentioned, China, there is a lot to take in there. I'll pull up our first chart on the video feed and talk to me a little bit more about what is going on in China right now and how that in turn is impacting our markets right now. Well, I think this chart's really telling because it, it shows on the left hand side the real GDP growth expectations by the uh, IMF. Uh, when it comes to the actual world economic outlook, they just put out midweek this week or on Tuesday, I guess it was. Um, and, and this is the left-hand side shows where they were back in October 2023 for 2024 growth. And the, the 2024 uh, date there is where they're at now. And you notice the red area for China. They really bumped up China's growth for 2024. And the dot is where they were previously uh, back in October. And so what that 2024 bar shows you is that the majority of the growth uh, when it comes to the emerging markets is going to come from China, especially. And they bumped up those numbers by four tenths of a percent. So China's growth now is at 4.6 percent on the new update from IMF. That means to me and, and IMF said this in their commentary that. China is going to have to stimulate their economy to get 4.6% growth. And so when you think about this chart and you see what they're looking at in terms of stimulus, and then you see that they earlier in the week let the, the massive property group that's been holding them back and dragging them down, Evergrande, they let that fail and go into liquidation. I think they're addressing their problems adequately. And I think more liquidity will come from a standpoint of trying to shore up their consumer and try and shore up their property sector and their stock market and that helping their consumers. So I think that's a big deal, but it goes back to what we talked about last week. It's really an important time period. These next two to three weeks are exceptionally important to put a China low in this market. You and I take a look at the Bloomberg uh, Grain Commodity Index quite a bit. You have another chart here uh, comparing this with the uh, Hang Seng Equity Index. So what are you seeing here, some of the correlations on this chart right now, Mike? Yeah, the big thing that I like to show people when I travel or when I talk on, the, on air with you and others is there is a real strong tie between the macro fundamentals, especially right now, about China and their stock market because their, their consumer – is, is so involved in their stock market and so involved in their property market that the person getting hurt the worst uh, is the person that's buying all the commodities and the pork, and that's the consumer over there. And so this, this relationship between the Bloomberg Grain Commodity Index and that Hang Seng market is at a positive 0.82. So you essentially have over an 18-week basis in those two prices and a positive 82% relationship. And so why would the wheat and the crude oil come in and break this market back higher on good news when it comes to the, the, the Chinese market? Or why would the hogs and the soybeans both help lead the rallies when you get good news on the Chinese uh, stock market uh, or on the Chinese property market or things like that? And I think this chart helps visually show you this is why, because the market is really watching China, really watching the Hong Kong equity market, and, and they're probably not going to come back into grains in a real significant manner until they get the all clear out of China's stock market. 
Well, in terms of corded soybeans here, I want to talk a little bit more about price action and just some of the things you are seeing. And let's look at Gulf corn prices here for a minute. And you talk about, you know, a China low here in the market. Uh, I'm very curious your thoughts here just with all of this economic news that we're seeing. You throw in there the South American crop. China going to South America more. I'm just, I, I we're connecting the dots here, Mike, and some things yeah. are clicking for me here right yeah. now. So walk me through kind of this aspect of what you're seeing right now. This chart, I think, reflects really well the fear in the market that if we don't get a China low right here, right now, and in, in 2013, heading into 2014, I think is a good analog time period to be watching for us coming out of 2023 and heading into 2024, that we had a very good market bump. I, I suspect that South America helped with that bump, but I would also suggest that we're coming off the, some of the negativity in China based upon that MIR-162 genetic and them really not wanting corn anymore because they were slowing down again. And we did get that China bump early in the year, and that was a good bump to sell because that then essentially was it for the next five years. And I think this is what the trade is most concerned about. Number one, we don't get a China bump and we go straight into the 2015, 2019 time period uh, in, in terms of price action for the corn. And, and what I would say to you, Jesse, is that what I like about this chart so much is that we are still at $5 when it comes to the NOLA cash price. And we're actually still cheaper than Brazil uh, when it comes to the port of Paranagua. And so that's a big difference between where we're at in corn versus beans. We're talking about being $2 more expensive in soybeans at our golf versus the port of Paranagua and bringing soybeans into the Southeast this week uh, by some reports at about $1.35 underneath the March futures. But this corn chart shows us that we've got a cash market that's still supporting us and there's less need for us to go lower. So I think this is why I say this next two to three week time period is so critical. The month of February is critical between the WASDI report, the base price for crop insurance for corn and beans and China. Uh, th these things are just can't be underestimated and overlooked. And so if you don't do anything else in the month of February, now that we've closed out January, elevate your marketing plan because this is a crucial time period. Let's look at the monthly uh, corn continuation chart as well, just to kind of add in with our discussion. Anything you are seeing here uh, on these corn charts as well? Any other indications we need to keep an eye on, Mike? Yeah, we're going to close with a multi-month, multi-year low close when it comes to the corn market, even though the weekly chart is giving a buy signal. This monthly chart uh, after Wednesday's end of the month trade just looks really, really tough. The only good thing you can say about it is that we're extremely oversold in those stochastics where that blue arrow pointing down is. Um, we're near the zero line when it comes to both the slow and the fast stochastics. And so that would suggest to me it would not take much for the market to create a short covering wave. And that goes back to where the funds are at over uh, 270,000 net short contracts right now. So I highlighted here again, the 2015 time period uh, through 2020, um, just to give you an idea of what the corn price did. I think we had an average price of around 360 uh, in 2015 for corn. So that early April, uh, May top uh, in the uh, 2014 corn market was certainly something that looking back on was a great place to hedge. And that's kind of the model type mindset I have. Last thing I'll throw out is I did cut my value levels by 15 cents since this last WASDI report. 
However, I still think we're underneath the uh, cheapest value for corn from a world supply demand mindset because I still think that Brazil's got issues and they're issues that neither Argentina nor any other country can really help offset at this stage. Another big difference between beans and corn, bean bulls out there are being fought and beat up against the bean bear saying, look, we did 195 in terms of bean production last year when it came to Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay. We're probably going to do 215 to 220 this year because Argentina and Paraguay are going to pick up the slack. I don't see that as much in the corn side. Well, once again, we're having a conversation today with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. He's joining us here while we're broadcasting live at the Cattle Industry Convention. He is back home in Kansas. Take a look at these markets here as we wrap things up on Wednesday. Again, kind of mixed activity. We're going to continue our conversation with Mike coming up here in just a minute. Some of the closes, March corn up a half penny, 448 and a quarter. July corn down three quarters, 466 and a half. December new crop corn down a quarter penny, 480. March beans, three and a half high. 1222 and a quarter. July up five and a half, 1241 and three quarters. November beans, two and a half higher, 1199 and three quarters. Soybean meal for March up 530 a ton, 368.30. March bean oil up two points, 4602. March Chicago wheat, 10 and a quarter lower, 595 and a quarter. March Kansas City wheat down eight and three quarters, 622. March spring wheat down seven and a half, 692 and a quarter. In livestock, February live cattle, 67 lower, 177.35. April down 105 18070 feeders march 117 lower 24015 april down 85 24615 february hogs up 507635 april down 78482 back with more here on market talk on the way right after the break make sure to subscribe to the market talk youtube channel you can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country find bonus content and much more it's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are talking today with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, I want to make sure we have time for cattle here, but I also want to look at the uh, soy market too. Soybeans had a nice rally off the lows uh, on the day Wednesday. Talk to me about that and some of the uh, the world prices you're watching right now. Yeah, this world chart really is all telling. I mean, as I said a minute ago, we're, we're talking about you know sixty, almost seventy dollars a ton being more expensive. That's two dollars, roughly two dollars a bushel more expensive at the Gulf of Mexico. And I think more importantly, Jesse, is as we've talked about before, if we've got damage in Brazil, or if we continue to have weather issues in certain parts of the country of either Brazil or Argentina, you've got to think at some point these prices are going to start spiking, and these actual cash physical prices will start working into the chart price action, and we'll start to see a change in the trend. And so I don't see our prices bottoming at the Gulf of Mexico for soybeans until Brazil's prices start to come up or Argentina's prices start to come up. So I'm still a hedger in the soybeans 
I put on puts this uh, recommended puts this week for clients and subscribers. When we took out those January crop report lows on a closing basis, I'm sure glad I did the puts because I thought to myself in hindsight, I'm glad I didn't do cash sales from a standpoint of the reaction of the market going back up with this China news being more positive in some respects. But what if I had not gotten that China news from the IMF? What would have happened in terms of downside potential? So I think having the floor underneath you and the beans is a really good idea. All right. Let's talk cattle. Cattle inventory report out Wednesday afternoon, Mike. Uh, January 1, cattle inventory down 2%, 87.2 million head. Uh, that was below the 88.8 million head January 1 of last year. Uh, just looking at these numbers, calf crop down 2% as well. Uh, overall, I, I guess instant reactions to these numbers, Mike, feels fairly neutral to even friendly. What do you think? I think so too, Jesse, because you said it. I'm looking at that report for 2023, January 1. It says 88.84, but I'm looking at the January 31st, 23 report, and it says 89.3. So they brought the inventory down even more for 2023. So the 2024 number does not look as tight and the supply didn't fall as much, but it really did when you look at it from a perspective of what the trade was dealing with before these numbers came out. So that 87.2 uh, number that we got today for January 1, uh, that's actually down more than 2%. 87.5 would have been a 2% cut. So I think it is a slightly favorable report. I do think, though, however, with the warmer temperatures coming in and the Packers back in the red and Lent coming, I'm not sure it was enough to feed the bull. So my suspicion is, is if we don't get an immediate market reaction and take this market on up with a pretty good sizable clip from buying of the funds, I'll probably start getting to the hedge game again because we are hitting those price levels that are above the USDA average prices for quarter two in the fat cattle market already. Good thoughts there. We do have one more chart I want to take a look at. It's a monthly feeder cattle continuation chart. And, you know, feeders have kind of been the leader here uh, the last few weeks, I would say. Uh, so wondering, you know, depending on how the market digests this cattle inventory news, what could that maybe mean for this feeder market, Mike? I guess talk about that and what you're seeing on this chart right now. Yeah, three things. The, the calf prices have been red hot. I mean, you're talking about $300 calf prices plus, and, and I mean, that's that's some cases a low number. Um, Oklahoma City was 10 to $20 higher this week. So the grazing, the pasture in the Southern Plains, the winter wheat crop, that's bringing back the calf market. That's why the feeders are supercharged compared to the fats, in my opinion, Jesse. So I do think the feeders are more likely to make the top first because they're the ones that have been going so hard. Um, and, and the buyers will probably run out first in the feeder cattle market. So second point is, I think we're still very close in similarity to the 2014-2015 model year. We had a big pullback in late 2014. Heading into 2015, we made a low. We went higher into March. We're able to recover, you know, $12, $13 of premium uh, pretty easily and then try and stretch our legs until we got to April, May. And then we fell apart again in May of 2015 roughly speaking. And I think that's a good model year to keep in mind uh, for the feeders and also for the fats here uh, this time around, especially if that dollar doesn't break back down uh, in price action. I think 
The third thing would be going back to the corn market and the feeders and the funds. If the corn market's trying to make a low and we do have a turnaround in the corn, how will the funds handle that? Because they've been such big participants in buying feeders and selling corn once again on that spread here in the last two, three weeks. Mike, awesome stuff. Uh, we packed a lot here into a, a short amount of time today. Let's wrap it up, put a bow on it. What do you want folks to remember here as we're rounding out the month of January and looking ahead to February, Mike? Think about that grain index against the Hong Kong market. I really think most of the roads lead back to China. If we're forming a very hard low here and we're going to get a China bump, I think it really does have to start with the Chinese equity market and the Chinese currency. And if I don't see that in the next couple of weeks, I'll get really, really defensive. Fantastic. If folks want to reach out to you for some advice or look at your analysis, how can they get a hold of you, Mike? Globalcomresearch.com. And it's Globalcom with two M's, research.com. Lots on there to look at, including product services and a free trial offer. Fantastic. Globalcom with two M's, research.com. With that, Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. As always, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Jesse. And tell the cattlemen and women down there, hello. I will do just that. Once again, Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics joining us here today on Market Talk as we are about out of time here from the Cattle Industry Convention and NCBA Trade Show in Orlando, Florida. We're going to have more updates here from the industry convention uh, coming up here throughout the next couple of programs on Market Talk. So definitely uh, stay tuned for all of that and more. We'll also have uh, more coverage on AOA Agriculture of America, our sister program that uh, I host uh, on many great radio stations as well across the country here in the next couple of days. So a lot of coverage coming up here from NCBA CattleCon 24 here in Orlando. Get a pretty decent wrap-up to the uh, market day on Wednesday with soybeans uh, doing the best to rally off the lows. We saw beans really two to five higher corn mixed, petty or so either side of unchanged. The wheat trade seven to ten lower, and then mixed action in cattle and hogs. Be watching to see how the cattle market reacts to those inventory numbers again. January one cattle inventory down two percent, calf crop down two percent as well. We are out of time here on Market Talk today. Again, broadcasting from the cattle industry convention in orlando florida thanks for joining us i'm jesse allen have a great rest of your day we'll talk to you tomorrow